10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 24th of April and you're tuning in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Today the Pastoral CPD Clinic hits double figures. It's actually Pastoral CPD Clinic number 10 for probably the first time. This will be a clinic about something that I have very little knowledge about and that's the head of sixth form role. I'll be joined by Claire Green who's going to share her pearls of wisdom. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk radio tune in live on the podbean app or desktop player just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash tt radio or search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio right i believe we are back i believe we are back can i just get people in the studio just to confirm that i can be heard we had a false start we had a false start but i believe we're here i'm getting a lot of um the bar is filling up, which tells me my mic is working this time around. There we go. Wonderful. I solved it. I troubleshooted it on my own and I solved it. Excellent. The only problem now is that link that I sent out may have changed. Who knows? Who knows? The people that are in the room before, hopefully they'll find their way back. This is Pastoral CPD Clinic number 10. Number 10, number 10, number 10. I can't believe I've done nine of these. Well, 10, including this one. Um, all about different issues involving, well, to do with the pastoral world. Um, and today, as I said in the intro, for probably the first time, this is about something that I have very little knowledge, very little experience. So this is a bit of selfish CPD. So I can get to understand more about the role of the head of sixth form. A fascinating, fascinating, multifaceted role by the sounds of it. And again, like I said, I've got no idea what it's about. I can only think and imagine what it's going to be, what it'd be like running a whole um mini school of 17 18 year olds that will present its own challenges and wonderful kind of highlights and everything else i i can imagine so that's what to, the focus of today is as always i've seen mr coley thank you for rejoining i know you were in the studio before we had some technical difficulties but you're here as always i do like to talk a little bit about um my week and look down at my tweets everything else see what caught my eye in these last week i can't believe we've been back to school for only a week that is ridiculous that is ridiculous. I've lost my voice. I nearly lost my voice on Friday. Um, and that would have been the first time in a long time that I would have lost my voice. I'm close to losing. I've got my water on deck. So hopefully I'm going to sip that in the background and keep the uh, the vocal cords nice and uh, lubricated and moist is the plan. That is a plan. So what have, we been, what have I been talking about this past week? A couple of my tweets actually got a bit, I was about to say viral. Let me not toot my own horn. Definitely not viral. Nowhere near viral. But got a lot of attention got a lot of attention and a lot of kind of like positive feedback and one of them is one that kind of like I hold very close to my heart one of them this I was talking about a year nine boy um who he's one of those kids who in year seven and eight just muck he's low priority and let me not shy away from that that does have that is a factor he just messed about a lot in year seven year eight didn't really take things seriously struggled academically but never really knew how to focus either so then when you don't get things and you're not really that keen on focusing too much you want to mess about you just fall further and further behind but this kid has had a massive turnaround and it's one of those it's like he's becoming a bit of a success story obviously he still has um he still has gaps in his knowledge and everything else but in terms of focus behavior and attitude he's having a massive turnaround 
And I walked past him in the corridor, um, walked past him in the corridor and towards the end of last week and just spudded him. Just a quick, no words, just a quick walk by. Here's my fist. There's your fist. Contact. Boom. He kind of smiled and walked off. Um, and then I saw him at the end of the day at the bus stop when I was on duty after school. And his friends came up to me and they're like, sir, 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 can you just stop so-and-so from talking about the fact you spotted him? And I said, what do you mean? And I was like, he's been bragging about it for the whole day, they said. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, sir. It's because you don't spot anyone, you know. You don't spot anyone. So I felt, I felt blessed, sir. I felt blessed. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm glad. I'm glad. I just want to recognize that you're, he said, why did you do it? I said, because you're doing well, man. And you're just doing well. So I just want, I saw you and it's just a way for me to express hopefully some mutual respect, everything else, and a, and just kind of acknowledgement of how much improvement you made. So you're doing well. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you spudded people. I said, of course, like I spudded, I spudded whoever deserves a spud. Um, and I think you deserved one. And it was just nice. And I just said in the tweet that I feel like it is those little things that can make uh, the most impact. And the fact that he said he was blessed was a, a bit of an overstatement. But either way, I'm glad he was, um, that it was a highlight of his day. So that was quite, that was quite nice to, to hear. And the other tweet that got a bit of attention um, was around the use of on-call, the use of on-call. So I tweeted about if you want to build positive relationships with the more challenging students. And this is an important caveat, an important kind of preface to the tweet, because it is about if you want to build positive relationships with more challenging students, then my advice, and it's only advice, is don't just palm them off to on-call when they get it wrong. I mean, by all means, use on call. I'm not saying don't use on call, but I was saying if you are going to use on call, um, ask the person on call to go in the classroom and actually monitor your your the 30, 29, 20 other students while they get on with something independently for a couple of minutes while you talk to the child. That was my advice because I feel like, and I've seen it in previous schools and I've seen it very often where, and I get it, I understand you want the whole, you want to prioritize the learning of most pupils. So the majority, I get that. But if the challenging pupil has got it wrong in your lesson and all you say to a person on call is, ah, can you just take them away, please? Blah, 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 or along those kind of lines, or they disrupt the lesson two times, three times. I've told them they've not listened. Can you just remove them? That will not help you to build a positive relationship with that pupil. That's all I was saying. And I think if you want to build a positive relationship, then by all means, go and chat to the kid for a couple of minutes and say, right, let's look forward. Right, we know we did X, Y, Z, but now going forward, I need you to do X, I need you to do Y. Anything missing, any barriers, anything going on, or are we going to be okay? And at least you've tried then to try and get the kid back in to be successful. Maybe it won't work. Maybe they'll just kick off and say, nah, I don't want you. And you say, okay, fine, but at least you've tried. And I think that was another tweet that got a bit of, it got some positive responses. And then there was a bit of a, I was going to say backlash, some disagreement. Um, one person said, oh, where's it gone? I can't remember now. One person was essentially saying that they don't have time for reflections and kind of restorative conversations outside. They've got to get everyone else in the classroom learning. I was like, okay, fine. But if every child matters, then you should also want to make time. And even if it's just a minute or two, make the effort to try and get that child back in your lesson. You doing it yourself looks better than just saying to your member of senior leadership team, can you deal with that child? Because then you're more likely to build a relationship yourself. Otherwise, it's just going to be a cycle. They'll never think you've actually got their best interests at heart and they just won't. Maybe it's not about a respect thing. They just won't try for you. A lot of kids need to like you in order to, in order to work for you. So let's be real about it. Um, or at least know, or at least respect you or something on those lines. 
Um, but yeah, that was on the tweets. I tweeted out as well. Welcome, people that are joining the studio. Victoria Moore, thank you. Got some other people. Mr. Coley, thank you for sharing the show. Uh, and also Janelle. So if this first time listening to me on Teacher Talk Radio, my name is Khalil Rouse. This is Teacher Talk Radio, and this is a Sunday lunch show. This show is a pastoral CPD clinic. I've had nine others prior to this, and this is just one of an abundance of Teachers Talk Radio shows. If you want to find out more about Teachers Talk Radio, you head to ttradio.org. If you want to listen back to Teachers Talk Radio shows, you head to ttradio.org forward slash listen back. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it is at ttradio2022. And if you want to follow me specifically, because you feel like I sound like a guy who knows what he's talking about, which I kind of am, in the world of pastoral and maths. <laughs> that's about it. Pastoral, maths, safeguarding, that kind of stuff. That's my kind of speciality. What we're going to do is going to run the intro one more time, and it is then going to be time to bring the wonderful Claire Green onto the stage. So let's run the intro one more time, and then let's get into talking about all things sixth form leadership. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Afternoon again, it is 1.19 on Sunday the 24th of April and this is Pastoral CPD Clinic number 10 on Khalil Rouse's Sunday lunch show on Teacher Talk Radio. We are going to be speaking about something that I've got no personal idea about, personally, no experience, and that's being a head of sixth form with the wonderful Claire Green. She's going to be hopefully dropping some gems, some pearls of wisdom, and some advice for anyone looking to know more. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash ls sw slash tt radio or search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio wonderful 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 hopefully technology is going to be better for claire first time than it was for me claire can you hear me yes i can can you hear me Wonderful. Yes, loud and clear, Claire. Loud and that's almost like a tongue twister. Loud and clear, Claire. Loud and yeah, loud and clear. How are you you this Sunday? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, all good. And thank you for agreeing to come on. I come on the show to speak about a role that I imagine you are very, very passionate about, um, which is the head of sixth. Wonderful, the head of sixth role. Can you just, as I like to do with all the guests, can you just give a quick kind of intro? about your background in terms of well yeah teaching career to date maybe in a nutshell and then also your current role you don't have to name your school or anything just a current role and what you you do on a kind of day-to-day basis in a in a nice quick succinct summary for the people please yeah so um i have been teaching for about 16 and a half years um i started off as teacher of history and then went the kind of academic department route so i was um kind of in charge of gifted and talented high achieving students across school then I was head of history head of humanities for a number of years a big humanities faculty in my last school Um, and then I took on um, some additional responsibilities on top of being head of humanities within the sixth form at my previous school um, around intervention mainly in the sixth form and then they advertised a, a new post um, to add to what was already their current sick form leadership team. It was a big sick form. Um, so I joined the sick form team um, in charge of, again, kind of 
the academic um, side of things. So I was supporting Oxbridge applications, medicine, all the early entry applications to university, um, the academic societies program that we ran at my previous school, um, and again, still involved heavily in, in intervention within departments. Um, and then I moved to my current school um, in September of 2020 in the middle of COVID, which was a bit of a crazy time to move, really, um, as director of sick form. So um, leading the sick form kind of overall. Um, and that's what I've been doing since then, obviously, through quite a, a kind of disrupted period in many ways and trying to make quite a lot of changes um, in quite a, a short amount of time. But it's going really well. Absolutely love it. It is a fantastic role. Um, and, and part of the reason that I kind of want to talk about it is because I don't think it gets very much airtime, really, or, or, or much um, written about it specifically. So um, that's kind of I just want to open up a conversation really about the joys of sick form leadership. No, one, wonderful, wonderful one. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that it, has, it doesn't get much doesn't get much of a platform and I feel like in my mm. I've worked in I work in a secondary school at the moment and my secondary school only has three years but either way there's so much about like kind of the head of year role when it comes to year head head of year seven year eight year nine year ten year eleven and then it all goes a little bit quiet um yeah. and I don't know I don't know why that is but when you search for heads of year role obviously you don't you don't see maybe you have to search specifically for head of sixth form but there aren't many things out there that I've managed to to find and so it's Hopefully this will be useful for well, someone like me who doesn't really know much about the role. I've, my school doesn't have a sixth form yet. I've not worked with 17, 18 year olds for about seven years. I don't even know how I've not worked with old, one of an old young adults, let's call them, that's what they are, mm. in ages. So hopefully anyone that listens live or will listen back, if they're, if they're thinking about it or maybe in the back of their mind, they're thinking, oh, I wonder what the, the head of sixth form roles or the director of sixth form roles are like and what they have to do and everything else. Hopefully it will, it will be useful for them to get a kind of insight into it. That's the, that's the hope and the aim of today. So what, what was it that made you kind of take the leap? Because you said that you've been involved in that kind of academic side for a while in history and interventions. Obviously, then you did interventions as a sixth former. No, not as, sorry, not as a sixth former. <laughs> interventions with sixth formers. So what was it that made you think, you know what, now I want to I wanna go for, I want to I manage this. I want to take it over and I want to I have a go at the whole thing. Yeah, I suppose um, all the schools I've worked in have had quite a big sick form um, attached to the main school. Um, and I've always, always taught um, sick form history. I've always taught A-level. My first school, I taught IB as well. Um, and it's always been kind of my favourite um, part of teaching, teaching A-level groups, teaching sick form groups. Um, and I think once I'd kind of dipped my toe in with the intervention, in addition to the head of faculty role, I just thought that, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'd, I'd love to have some, you know, input into what happens and kind of how people of that age, young people of that age, 17, 18 year olds who are about to kind of go out into the world, what can we do to set them up um, to make that transition a smooth one? Because it's a, it's a huge transition that they make when they leave school and therefore we have quite a responsibility. But I think that's a really exciting prospect as well at the same time. Mm, so do you... So how long has it been since you've taught? So you said you obviously did a lot of A-level history. So do you? Yeah. when's the last time you taught like a, a year seven group or a year eight group? Oh, I still do. So still, I, teach, okay, cool. I teach in all key stages at my school. It's 11 to 18 school. And I've always taught in 11 to 18. And throughout, I've taught key stage three, four and five. Um, okay. But just, I suppose, my favourite part of my timetable has always been teaching teaching A-level. Um, yeah, I love teaching in general, but... Um, 
teaching A-level groups, I think there's just a, a, a slightly different dynamic really in the room. They've chosen to be there. You know, quite a lot of students who take history at A-level go on to do something relatively related to it as well beyond. So you get a really um, kind of different experience as a teacher, really, and a different relationship with the students, um, which I think is quite special in terms of state form that you don't get um, with the main school. Yeah, I don't know how people, I feel like I saw some, um, you get these like these Twitter polls about what's the favourite favorite year group to teach? Yeah. And I, I feel like, I don't know about you guys in the room, let me know what you think, but I feel like I often see sixth form, A-level comes out pretty much towards the top from what I recall in any kind of subject. I think it is what you said about the the fact that you've, well, they're, you, usually they're more mature. You, usually they're <laughs> usually, more mature. Yeah. Usually they're more mature. They've obviously, you, they, they're people who have, clearly got some sort of key, like a genuine interest in the subject so you, you haven't got the barrier of trying mm. to get them you haven't got the barrier of trying to like encourage interest they actually clearly have a either a need or an interest for that subject so they know why they're there um and I guess again because the last time I taught sixth formers I was nearly their age so when I first started teaching at like <laughs> 21 22 that's when I had some sixth form classes so I don't know what it would be like at my age now of um whatever however ever, how old am I 30 teaching um sixth formers now but I imagine it's it's a bit it can be quite refreshing to be able to talk to well, if they're mature that is, be quite refreshing to talk to <laughs> mature people who clearly have a keen interest in something that you're also mutually interested in as well. Imagine that's Yeah, a, absolutely. And I think I think you also get to, you know, obviously use your subject knowledge in a way that you don't um or or to a level that you don't um with the main school just because of the depth of knowledge that's required for you to be able to to teach um A level really, really effectively. So um I think there's lots of reasons why it's a, you know, a, a sixth form classroom is a, a lovely place to be as a teacher. No, definitely. Okay, so let's zoom in on this role. So you said you're director of sixth form. How many mm-hmm. are you? Are you the, so to speak, the top dog then? And then there's a team underneath you. So yeah, I think I think it's worth saying actually that every sixth form will operate slightly differently, and I think that's okay. that's part of the reason why it's quite difficult to sort of pin down what the role is, because it will vary from school to school. So the school I'm in. Um, now I'm director of sixth form and then there are a head of year of year 12 ahead of year 13 um, we have a team of tutors and mentors we have um, an admin support member of staff who's absolutely brilliant and is just like uh, kind of does everything you know chasing attendance data um, just super helpful first aid all those kinds of things just um, a brilliant go-to person and then we have sixth form only subjects in the school so there are certain subjects on on our curriculum that are only offered within the sixth form so like some of the social sciences psychology sociology business um and then we've got obviously the subjects offered that are offered in the main school as well so it's a it's a huge curriculum um kind of the broadest number of subjects that there are at any point on our curriculum if you like so um it's very very varied but like i was i was saying previously i think it just is so different from school to school. So my previous school, there were three people who were the sixth form leadership team, no heads of year. Um, so it operated in a slightly different way. So I think, you know, if, if people are looking at the role, it's definitely worth asking about what is the staff structure because it, it does vary quite dramatically from school to school. Yeah, that, well, that's a nugget of information that I wouldn't even thought of. I did think, I, like I said, I've not worked in a in a school with a sixth form for donkey's years. Um, so from what I'm hearing, so you've got head of, so your one's got head of year 12, head of year 13, and you've got your own kind of admin, I would say team, but admin, personal people who were specifically yeah. 
specifically um, designated to the sixth form as opposed yeah. to it's not it's not like the school admin who does a bit on sixth form there is a sixth form administrator administration team in your school yeah okay yeah one person currently and I think um again that will vary sometimes you wouldn't have that support you might have somebody like you say who does a little bit of sixth form on the side it might depend on the size of the sixth form you know the sixth form that I lead now has about 320 students in it and it's growing mm. and that's part of the what we wanted to do was to grow the sixth form when I joined. Um, but there'll be other sixth forms that are much smaller, want to stay small, and therefore don't need that same sort of structure. Um, so that's why it is worth really kind of asking the question if you are looking at something that's advertised about what does that look like? If it's, but, you know, obviously, if you're joining a, a different school, if you're, if you're applying within, you, you obviously will know what that looks like. But if you're applying as an external, it's definitely a question I would ask. Mm, there's there's your first nugget ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> so well i've seen some some most well i say some names enter in the chat we've got tscw welcome shamwa if i've pronounced that correctly if don't know if it's one word one name or two words one name or two names um welcome to studio we're talking i'm talking to claire green at the moment about her role as director of sixth form and the first bit of information if this is a role that you've thought about or in, if you're listening back thinking, oh, yeah, I like I could I could do that, head of sixth form, managing those 17-year, 18-year-olds, then first bit is to is to work out what the structure is in that sixth form because not every sixth form is the same. Most secondary schools obviously aren't always the same either. Um, so it's one of those things where sixth forms can be run very differently from sixth form to sixth form. So make sure you, you have a look and see what the structure is, what structure you want in terms of your own support network, or are you going to be the only person making decisions, or are you the person that oversees the people making the key decisions? So I think it is worth, if you if you do get to, if you're looking at those roles, then make sure you go into detail, look into detail about the structure, the leadership structure for sixth form, how many people are dedicated just to sixth form, or are they, have you got the admin team that's on the whole school also doing a little bit of sixth form on the side, as Claire said. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Cool. TSCWs, welcome to the chat. Oh, sorry, sorry, Sharon. Sorry, Sharon. Um, she said she's a head of, I think, head of faculty, I'm assuming. Um, is HOF head of faculty? Yeah, in a sixth form college, about 2,000 students. Wowzers. So that in, in and of itself, at any point, um, if feel free, this is a, this is a live call-in show. So although I've got Claire as a scheduled guest, it's still a live call-in show. So if at any point it takes you and you have some insight or some guidance for anyone that wants to get into working with 17, 18-year-olds in sixth form or colleges, then at any point you can also call in using that great phone icon at the bottom of the screen. So, cool. Let's get back to it. So, Claire, you're still there. I know you did something. Um... <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Oh, perfect. You did a very professional thing of muting yourself. I like that. Not everyone does that. It's very, it's very like, it's very, it's, it's very professional. So where are my little, my little notes gone? Here we go. So my little, so you've not had, from what I gather, any kind of pastoral experience prior to becoming a director of sixth form. Is that correct? As in, in terms of pastoral leadership, that is. No, no, not pastoral leadership. Um, I suppose when I did the, uh, when I was head of faculty and I was doing intervention in the sixth form, in addition to that role, um, quite a lot of um, the students that were involved in intervention, part of the reason that they were kind of make, not making the progress that we might expect of them was often to do with pastoral issues. So I got quite involved pastorally within the sick form at that point, just by virtue of the role that I was doing. But I haven't, you know, I wasn't previously ahead of year in the main school mm. or anything like that. No, beforehand. So then in your role as director, because you've got heads of year, 
heads of year 12 and 13, does that mean you're therefore not really involved in the pastoral side of things? Um, no, I am quite quite involved. Heads okay. of year, definitely, obviously their role um, is pastoral, but they also look at academic support as well. So um, we kind of work together. Um, so yeah, I do get quite involved um, in pastoral matters, safeguarding, um, both heads of year are, are DSLs and obviously so am I. Um, so we, we kind of do it between us really. Um, but I think with the numbers that we've got, we need, we need that. Uh, we need us all to be to be working on those things for it to be done effectively. No, definitely. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the S word um, because <laughs> this this is this is something. Well, when I was thinking about and I was speaking to my partner about it, when I was I, I'm a DSL in a secondary school. And we've only got up to like I said up to year nines at the moment. We'll have year tens next year, and so on. We grow every year. And yeah. safeguarding, I feel like safeguarding of secondary school is one thing, but I mm-hmm. can only I can't even imagine what safeguarding looks like when you're dealing with 17 18 year olds um yeah what what how different obviously maybe you haven't done safeguarding in in um in secondary school but the chat i imagine the things that come up in terms of for example you've got things to do with sex alcohol drugs you're talking about more that's just in the way they interact with one another let alone things that they're experiencing from their their parents or their carers or their home situation so how 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 in, well, intense may not be the word, but those safeguarding issues that come up, how, yeah, maybe intense is the word. How is managing all that stuff with 17, 18 year olds? Yeah, I mean, the role is the same in terms of, you know, the, the training is the same and so on. But like you say, the the issues that come up um, are, are probably slightly different at times, not so much at other times if it's things going on at home or whatever. Um, I think part of the way... Um, that we deal with that like I say we're, we're all safeguarding trained kind of in terms of the the roles um in the team overall so that helps and we can talk about things um but also within our PSHE provision within the sixth form we try and cover issues that we know are relevant to them and therefore hopefully you know give them knowledge and awareness about things that might be risks in that sense um so that then if something does come up, we can refer back to maybe what they've been taught, an assembly that we've had, an outside speaker that's come in, whatever it might be. Um, I think it's just it's important from the student's point of view in terms of buy-in uh, to what we're doing, that the kinds of things we deliver in PSHE that might link to safeguarding um, are really relevant. So as an example, um, there was a big problem um, in the run-up to Christmas with spiking of drinks on nights out particularly in our local area. Um, so it was in the press quite a lot um, and on local news quite a lot. So we did quite a lot of work um, on that within our PSHE. Um, and I mean, at the time, actually, Year 12 were doing study skills in uh, that section of their morning. We do PSHE kind of in our morning registration slots each day. Um, so at that point, they were actually doing study skills because it was kind of quite early on, obviously, in their year 12 experience of trying to get them into their study habits that they need for sick form. Um, but because it was so much on the news and there were students kind of talking about it and stuff, um, we used some of the like note taking, Cornell note taking tasks or whatever that we were doing in the morning. We would use articles that were on drink spiking so you could kind of combine the two things. Um, and then we did an assembly um, in the run up to Christmas on the dangers of spiking, the kinds of things they can do to keep themselves safe. Um, And then on our social media, I've tried to promote that as much as possible 
um, and sort of retweeting local initiatives to try and curb it. So it's, I suppose, in a way, it's about being really aware of what is affecting the young people that are in your care and making sure that you're showing that you you have a knowledge of that and that you will do what you can to try and give them as much to arm themselves again against any risks that there might be. No, definitely, it's that it's that it's contextual safeguarding, isn't it? It's knowing knowing mm-hmm. what's going on, not only in the local area but in the wider wider society that's going, likely going to yeah. affect. Because seventeen, eighteen year olds are all they're everywhere. They're in terms of in terms of socialising wise, they're in the clubs, they're in the bars, they've got their fake IDs trying to get into these places. They're mixing with people that are older, people that are young, like they're they are in the thick of it when it comes to when it comes to risks. They're they they are. But then the thing is, they're also they're also adults. Some of them are 18, so I feel like you do get how much kind of, how much, let me just, sorry, before I ask the question, let me just look in the chat because I'm, I've noticed that Sharon's actually written that. They, in her sixth form college, they've got a separate tutoring team. Um, she said she was a senior tutor herself before she moved into curriculum management as a head of faculty. And everyone, it seems like it is like a kind of, everyone mucks in on pastoral issues. And Sharon said they've got a lot of inner city kids. So safeguarding is a massive thing. And it needs to always be a massive thing. And we don't want anyone to think, ah, oh, they're, they're nearly adults, so I'm sure they're going to be okay, that kind of thing, when they get to age of 18. Although we know that a child technically is anyone kind of under the age of 18. We know in a school setting, as far as we're concerned, they're still, they're still children until they leave. So we have our duties there. And I can't even imagine thinking about that even someone like drink spiking hasn't even come to my mind. It hasn't even been at the forefront of my mind at any point because obviously all I deal with is year nines, eights and sevens at the moment. So just keeping abreast of what's going on in the news to what's what like all the little whispers you might hear because I imagine if you actually if you are flying the wall in the sixth form common room you likely hear a whole bunch of concerning stuff that kids are speaking about and you have to like wait you have to like tactically ignore some things I imagine but also you're like nah we need to they're, they're likely being exposed to things that we know are a risk so there's I imagine you've got to be very vigilant when it comes to keeping these young people safe at that age, because they can get pulled in a, in a number of directions, um, some positive, obviously, then some, some more negative. So it does sound like a huge, a huge piece. How much of your, in terms of your time then on a day-to-day basis? Oh, sorry. Sharon's just come back and said every week, um, every week she gets a, wow. Every week there's a spiking incident and that's just in the classes that she teaches. So that gives you an indication yeah, that gives you indication of, in her context, how how prevalent that is of an issue. And like I was saying, that's something that I've not even not even thought of. In, and I'm a DSL in a, in, a, in a secondary school. I've not even thought of talking to kids about it. We're still dealing with um, what I'd consider to be, well, still high-level things, but just nothing of that, of that nature. Um, so that's something that I need to think about as they get older. Because what age do kids go out to, to parties these days? <laughs> it's like... Well, that's the thing as well. I think with COVID, <laughs> things have changed as well. And, yeah. you know, it, in some ways it's kind of more of a risk because they, ha- they haven't done it for so long. And, and suddenly some, some students have kind of decided now, now is the time, you know, everything's opened up, let's go out all the time. And they're not kind of used to it. They're not ready for it. They've had a, such a long time where they've, they've not been doing those kinds of things. So um, in some ways the risk is heightened, I think. Yeah, um, and Sharon, even in answer to my kind of, my um, rhetorical question, which is actually a genuine question in the same way, Sharon said 14. And genuinely, I'm thinking, I hear conversations between 14-year-olds about, oh, I'm going to a, a party 
And in my head, sometimes I'm not I'm not naive. I know they're not going to kind of cake and, and balloons party. But at the same time, you would hope that their parents and carers will will be vigilant enough. But pff, not in this day and age. Like you've got the you've got you've got they'll be they'll be drinking at 14, 15, won't they? Some. Um, so it's a danger. It's a risk. So even now I'm thinking I might have to write some notes now for myself that I might need to start thinking about the next next year. Oh, wow. TSCW says younger, younger than 14. This feels like it's a game of the prices, right? So we're going for lower than four, we're going for lower than 14. So we're going for lower than 14. Um, um, I think it's also worth bearing in mind kind of um, the demographic of your school culturally as well. Um, our school um, is very mixed culturally. And so there will be some issues that affect some groups of students more than they do others. Um, somewhere there are some groups who are really uncomfortable with discussions around some of these things. So it's about managing that quite carefully as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Let's make a, a little seg. Well, I think segue is a word because you wrote an article, and that's how I stumbled across uh, <laughs> you, Claire. I found an article on Tez entitled "School Leadership: Colon Tips for Heads of Sick Form." And I gave an I gave a nice little reading. This is what caught my eye, thinking, "Oh, Claire's a Claire's a guru." Let's bring Claire. Let's bring Claire. <laughs> um, um, Can I just say at that point, the on, whole I reason know. I wrote the article was because <laughs> there's never anything written about sick form leadership. You know, it's not necessarily that I'm an expert. I think it's a yeah, funny no. thing, isn't it? Like you, you train as a teacher, and you get. You know, I had really quite intensive PGC experience and all of that kind of thing, and then you sort of get promotions or you get different roles throughout your career. And there isn't the same then kind of stop and think, right, what does this this role involve? What do you mm. need to know, actually, um, to be able to do it really effectively? You just sort of expected to pick it up as you go along or observe somebody else doing it sort of while you've been at work. Um, so I think kind of the reason that I wrote the article really was just to to kind of show that sick form leadership is a huge thing and it's got so many different elements to it. And I think unless you're directly involved in it, you wouldn't necessarily appreciate that fully no definitely what we're gonna do so people i was gonna i was about sharon is ahead of every, sharon's like on the board i was gonna ask the question those of you in the chat room if you're involved in some sort of sixth form leadership yourself or you've had previous experience of being in in some form of sixth form leadership this is now going to be about trying to provide some advice to or tips or guidance or whatever you want to call it to anyone that's maybe thinking about making that that leap into dealing with the big kids so you're looking at sixth forms, colleges, 17, 18 year old leadership positions. Um, so if you do have any kind of tips or advice for them, then please do put it in the chat. So we're going to go through part of Claire's article on it, but then also any we'll, we'll feed off you guys in the room. If you've got any tips or insight into what it what the role is like and how to perform the role successfully, then please do put it into the chat at any time. And then I'll be feeding off your comments. Well, we have enough time, I think, before the break to go through the first one and then after the, we'll have a little ad break at around 150-ish, and then we'll come back after it. So the first one that Claire's written in her article on Tess is something that I came across quite recently, actually. I've heard this phrase quite a lot, and I think it's, it's just because it's a phrase that transcends education, but it is, of course, particularly relevant to this role. And Claire, you started with saying you need to know your why, and why being inverted commas. A very powerful phrase. Why is it so relevant mm. to sixth form leadership? Would you, would you say, Claire? I, I just think everything starts with the ethos in the sixth form. You, need, you know, obviously, as a head of sixth form, you, you are 
usually if you're in an 11 to 18 school anyway you'll be recruiting quite a lot of students from within your school but you probably are also going to be recruiting students into the sixth form from outside of the school so you've got to be able to communicate to anybody who might want to join what what is your sixth form about you know what what does it look like to be a sixth former in in this school um and I think unless you have a kind of philosophy about why sixth form uh the sixth form phase of education is really important it's really difficult to communicate that message and to to get recruitment right as well um so I suppose I, for me, it's just that it's the most exciting phase of education. As I say, I've always enjoyed that more than anything else. Um, and I think when I got this new role as director of sixth form, um, I wanted to establish something that was really clear and easy. So I came up with the, you know, the idea that sixth form students, I think, should be seen as and see themselves as role models. Um, so not just the the maybe obvious point of that they're role models to students who are younger than them, lower down the school um, in a number of different ways, but also that they're role models to staff and they can be because they're young adults um, that that we might actually look up to them in some ways and some of the things that they do. And if we get it right, that, that culture right of them seeing themselves as role models, actually, that's a, a really sort of endlessly positive cycle hopefully um and I think I try and communicate that wherever possible I mean if you look at our um Twitter accounts and stuff I put hashtag role models all over everything to do with the sit form because um as soon as there's something that any student does that's that has a positive impact whether it's something academically beyond um the curriculum or something that they've done in their own time we want to recognize it to to keep embedding that same message um and so I think um, there's lots of ways that you can do that and they respond really well to it. Um, you know, sixth form students are really quite vocal in a way that can be um, a really positive thing. Obviously, there's risks to that. <laughs> but um, when they when they do kind of get a bit of a bee in their bonnet about a particular issue um, and it can have a positive impact, we absolutely encourage that. Um, and I, that that obviously then reinforces the role models ethos a bit more so um i think that knowing your why why did you want why did you come into sixth form leadership what is it about the sixth form that you think is brilliant and how can you communicate that message to young people if you if you can't kind of come up with ideas around that it's maybe not the right role because it's to me it's so varied and so exciting that you get to be kind of with them on that journey as they become adults as they're making such crazy important decisions about what they do next in their life are they going to go to university are they going to move away from home are they going to go straight into work are they going to do an apprenticeship all of these things are huge decisions that they're taking at age sort of 17 18 mm. with uh, so much choice nowadays if, you know when I was in the sixth form there was far less choice um, than there is now for what you can do in terms of post 18 routes so to be sort of with students on that journey I think is a real privilege and that's that's kind of what we try and, and communicate all the time that it's a it it can be a constantly sort of positively reinforced thing all the while mm. Hope that no, definitely. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely. We've got uh, Tom Rogers just entered and Seema, welcome, welcome. Um, you're late, but no excuse. I've, I've taught you after the lesson. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> what I was going to say is, and and it's almost like what Sharon said in the chat as well. When you're dealing with 17, 18 year olds, you're not like it's not. Listen, year sevens have their ideas. Year eights have ideas. 
and they're like, oh, we should do this. But their, their ideas are things like, oh, we need more chicken on the menu, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> or do you know what I mean? Or the library needs more. Can we get table tennis in classrooms, please? Like they come up with ideas, which are fine. But when you're dealing with 17, 18 year olds, you're dealing with people that have lived a significant, like a significant time on this earth. And they're, they're, most of them, like I said, are mature, articulate, intelligent, some of them, of course. And it's not just they'll have like little whimsical ideas about things. They'll be able to give you really, really insightful feedback on everything, essentially, because they, they've lived it, they can understand it, and they're old enough to have a bit of kind of, well, I imagine, some kind of worldly experience. So I imagine leadership might be a bit more collaborative when you're when you're dealing with 17 18 year olds in terms of more regular feedback from them and i think sharon said it in the uh, in the chat she was saying she said how they've got a student exec a student executive and an edi group i'm gonna if whoa, any idea what edi might mean claire equality mm. diversity inclusion Oh, yes, that would make sense. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and the EDI group who feed back to leadership and we respond to them. And I know schools have their councils, everything else, even when they're year seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I get that. But surely when you get to 17, 18 year olds, it can be even more kind of transformative because these they're going to come with really, I imagine they're going to come with some real um, insightful ideas and some feedback and analysis on what works, what's not working, what they need. And because they're yeah. the people that are about to go on this journey and about to embark to that big step into kind of union um, jobs or else, they should be able to say, you know what, what we need is this. We really, we're missing yeah. this and so on. And I feel like that's more, more, much more kind of relevant and powerful in sixth form leadership than it is when you're dealing with your sevens, eights, nines, tens and elevens. Um, but yeah, perfect. What we're going to do, based on the time, about halfway through that round, we're going to take a quick break for ads, sponsors, and everyone can go for a little bit of a tea and a biscuit. It will take about seven or eight minutes. And on the other side, we'll get back into some more um, advice and guidance about how to be, well, how to be an effective sixth form director and or leader. So we'll take a little break for ads and I'll see you guys on the other side of these. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn 
Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Multiple media outlets report on comments made by Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi in a Times Radio interview. In the interview, Mr Zahawi dismissed calls to ban smacking of children by parents in England. In Wales, following the introduction of the Children, Abolition of Defence of Reasonable Punishment Act, parents who tap a toddler on the behind risk arrest and a criminal record. Children's Commissioner Rachel D'Souza expressed admiration for the ban in Wales and stated she would be supportive if the government in England decided to do the same. In response to Dame Rachel's comments, Mr Zahawi told Times Radio, My very strong view is that actually we have got to trust parents on this and parents being able to discipline their children is something that they should be entitled to do. He went on to outline how his wife had occasionally disciplined their nine-year-old daughter with a light smack on the arm. While some groups have come out in support of what they call the Education Secretary's common sense approach, others have condemned his comments as out of touch. Earlier this week, Mr Zahawi also sparked discussion following comments reported in The Telegraph, which outlined his views that schools have a duty to inform parents if their child identifies as transgender. The comments prompted a wealth of concerns about the safeguarding implications of such an act. His comments on smacking are likely to lead to similar concerns. Following last month's publication of the Safeguarding Report on the case of Child Q, a number of local authorities have received Freedom of Information requests for details on strip searches carried out in their area. Data is being requested following the release of details about the searching of Child Q, who was taken out of an exam and strip search by two female officers while teachers waited outside. The Now Then magazine for Sheffield reports that South Yorkshire Police have received FOI requests as a result of the Child Q case. The case raised a number of questions around safeguarding, duty of care and the treatment of young people of colour by both police and schools. In the Channel Islands of Jersey, mask wearing and the need to work in classroom bubbles will be scrapped from Monday the 25th of April, according to ITV News. Government data suggests there has been a decrease in the number of cases on island. However, there is also a warning that measures could return if the cases escalate. Other measures, such as enhanced hygiene and increased ventilation, will remain in place. In Africa, the news website This Day reports on the launch of the Africa Education Medal, which recognises the work of educators in transforming education across the continent. It is aimed at telling the stories of those who have lit the spark of change, 
and is open to all individuals working to improve the sector from pre-kindergarten to university education. The medal is launched by T4 Education in collaboration with HP and Intel. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at technology and supporting us getting lunch. Why? Because I asked every teacher I met last week if they had lunch regularly, and most of them said no. The reason being, they're too busy most days. Now, right off the bat, I'm not going to discuss any types of diet. This is just about getting lunch. Simple ways to get calories in to power the body. As always, I've tested these things out for you and added my humble opinion. First, and with zero extra cost, using the technology of the freezer. You can freeze a sandwich. I quite like this idea as it stopped me eating a sandwich in the car on the way to a school. If I know a sandwich is there, it calls to me. It calls to me. It, calls it being frozen meant a hat to wait. The downside is making the sandwich. However, throwing 10 slices of bread down, adding filling and then into a Ziploc bag would be quite easy on a Sunday evening. You might need quite a bit of space in your freezer though. Next, I used the trusty thermos mug and noodles. I thought it was a good idea, but unlike a sandwich that you can eat on the go, I needed a fork and then had to consider not dripping it on my tie, so I actually had to stop and eat. So not as simple as a frozen sandwich, but I did have a hot lunch. Now hold on to your hats. I tried this again. I did enjoy a hot lunch, so I smashed the noodles up before I put the water in the second time around. That day, I drank my lunch. No need to find a fork, lid off, quick swig of noodles, genius. The downside I can see is washing the mug. I know I'll find it on the draining board waiting to be washed when I want to get out the door. Finally, I tried a snack bar. You can get these quite cheap online and you can find them to match most dietary needs. It was definitely the easiest option, but would be the most expensive over time. For me, it didn't feel as lunch-like, if I was being totally honest, but it did the job of rapid calorie input on the go. So, in conclusion, if you're not having lunch, why not try one of these ideas? You will definitely feel better for it. P.S. I googled International Lunch Day and it actually exists. However, it's on the 10th of March, so we've missed it. Gutted. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you have for your lunch. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back. It is 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 24th of March, and you're still tuned in to the, whoa, the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. We have been talking all things sixth form leadership, and we will continue to do so for the last kind of half an hour of the show. I'm joined by Claire Green, who's dropping some gems and some pearls of wisdom about how to be an effective head of sixth form. Tune in and talk it out. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Welcome back, people. So we're still in the pastoral CBD clinic. The class is in session. That news, oh my word. I can't even, if I go into detail about that news, I won't let Claire speak again. So I can't go into detail about that news. But there's like so many things that rang a bell for me about all that kind of stuff that, um, what's, what's the person's name? Nadim Zahawi saying around, uh, there was stuff about transgender in there. There was stuff about beating your kids in there. There was stuff about, um, oh, what else was in there? Oh, lunch was a different thing. But the main thing around the obligation to, I think you're pushing for an obligation that if a student is 
maybe identifying as transgender or gender questioning that you must inform their parents or carers is a red flag. Whoa, in my nah, <laughs> I can't even. I can't even think about my responses there. But making any obligation to tell parent, like an obligation to tell parents about that, just seems um, is too is too far along the spectrum. It's definitely advisable. Um, and in an ideal world, you can broach the relationship. And most kids tell teachers first before their own parents because they're worried about the way their parents are going to respond. So if you then are obliged to then tell their parents, that can cause a whole bunch of issues. There's a way to kind of navigate it well that I have, I've actually done in my own capacity in the past. But that's we'll leave that for another show. Let's get back to sixth form leadership. Welcome, Joe. Lovely to to see you in the studio all the way from Eastbourne. I've got no idea where that is, but um. Nice for you to be in the studio from Eastbourne. No idea. So, Claire, if you come back to us, the last time we were speaking, we were talking about knowing your why. And the second bit in your article is around something that I wouldn't even have thought of because my when I was in sixth form, it was everyone from year 11 went into sixth form or you left. We didn't have anyone that came in. So I've not even experienced, I've not even experienced a sixth form as an adult or a young adult where it was, you were talking about recruiting and retaining people that mm. are coming into your sixth form. That's, what were you, what's your kind of take on all that? And what advice are you giving to potential sixth form leaders? Yeah, so I think, I think it's actually a, a really big consideration and, and it will, again, it will vary from school to school. So there will be some schools who literally only really want to recruit from within, from their year 11. They just want to move as many people up as possible or maybe they, um, a, a certain percentage um, and there are other schools who who want to do that, but also recruit from other schools. Um, so we do both. Um, my school at 11 to 16 is a, a girls only school. Um, but in the sixth form, we admit boys as well. Um, so there's there's still far, far more girls in the sixth form than, than, than there are male students. But um, it's a growing number um, of male students in the sixth form. Um, so. It will vary from um, school to school. I think that's if you are looking at a role, you need to kind of know what the deal is with that, really, um, and what the senior leadership team of the school or the head teacher of the school actually want to do going forwards. Do they want to grow the sixth form? Do they want to keep it as it is? Um, because that will really obviously um, kind of give you a guide as to how much of your role will be um, around trying to attract students into the sixth form. Um, so I think then you have to think about if you do want to recruit both internally and externally, what might that look like? How are you going to go about it? Um, you know, most sick forms will have a prospectus. You obviously have a sick form area of your website. So all of this becomes part of the sick form leader's role. So the sick form area of our website, I can edit the anything that's on the sick form area of our website. We had to think about do we do a promotional video? Um, do we keep it as a, a paper-based prospectus? Um, during COVID, obviously, when I joined, we decided that actually because everything was virtual at that time, it made sense to do um, a kind of virtual offer in terms of the prospectus. So we did loads of videos um, for each of the different courses that we run and various different aspects of the sick form so that people could go onto the website and access them at any time. Um, so you really need to think about kind of one, how many students do you want to recruit? Two, where do you want to recruit them from internally, externally or both? And then three, what might that recruitment look like? 
again, there's a financial element to that. Have you got a budget for that recruitment? Um, the most powerful way that I have seen, you know, in my experience over the last few years, being involved in two different sixth forms and recruiting externally as well as in, is the use of social media. Um, I think it's just, it's free. Um, you can obviously pay for promotional tweets and whatever else and post on Instagram. Um, but social media seems to be the way that most sixth form students or prospective sixth form students are trying to find information about where they might go next. Um, so obviously you need to sort of play to your audience and make sure that you are um, putting stuff out on social media that might be attractive to them. Mm, no, definitely. I'm going to play, I'm going to play cynical devil's advocate here, just out of mm -hmm. interest, out of interest. How much of sixth form retention is influenced by the how likely it is that the student will do well um so by that i mean so for example i don't know let's say you've got two students who are both applying to try and do the same course in i don't know i don't know what course i can even think of a course and one has did one did better at gcse and the other did well obviously comparatively worse um is it is it more like in your experience is it unfortunately more likely that the person who's done better in GCSE, who is therefore more likely to do better at A-level or B-tech or level, whatever, is it more likely they get the place? No. Um, okay. <laughs> that's so, a, that's a, <laughs> well, so uh, again, and this will vary from school to school, every sixth form will have its own admissions policy and its own um, criteria for entry to the sixth form. Um, so we have some general entry requirements and then we have three different pathways um, so we have an A-level only pathway, uh, a kind of combined pathway where you could do an A-level and two B-techs or the other way around, and then a B-tech only pathway as well. So depending on the results that you get at GCSE, you may have all those pathways open to you or you may only have one or two of them open to you. Um, and then beyond that, there are subject specific requirements for each of the additional courses. Now, obviously, if we get a situation where courses are massively oversubscribed, that is that can be an issue. So if you're doing a real sort of drive around recruitment and trying to add numbers into the sixth form, the risk obviously is then that you get too many. <laughs> um, and so therefore you've got to build that into your policy. You've got to have some kind of oversubscription criteria. Um, and it's really the course oversubscription criteria um, then becomes quite important. Um, but it's a bit of an unknown with recruitment because lots of students will apply to multiple sixth forms or colleges. And so you might have hundreds who apply, um, but that might potentially cut in half when it comes to who's actually going to enroll following their GCSE results. So you're always kind of doing your sort of best guesstimate of what numbers you might be looking at in September. So that makes planning the curriculum for the following year interesting and planning the timetable interesting. Um, but it's, it's quite an important kind of strategic part of the role, I would say. Um, mm. There's all, of the, what, all of the thoughts around that. Now, what you said about pathways is very interesting for me, very relevant to me as a as a secondary school um, mm -hmm. leader, because we speak to our students a lot, even from year seven, eight, nine, about creating options for their future and so on and so forth. And it's mm -hmm. powerful and it's very relevant to know that sixth forms, based on how you perform, and, and I wouldn't have known this, so sixth form based on how you perform at GCSE, so, so basically, if you're the better your GCC results are, the more options you're available. So that means the flip side is, if you don't do as well as your GCCs, doors do actually close from sixth forms. Is that is that is that yeah. the case? Yeah, and I, yeah. and I think close. Um, 
in some sixth forms more than others. So there will be some sixth forms where their curriculum offer is completely academic and they might have quite high um, course entry requirements. Um, there's no kind of national um, guidance on the criteria that you can use for course subscription. That's completely the, down to the school. Okay. So it's worth it. Again, you know, for year 11 students, they can compare one sixth form to another to get onto history A-level at one school, you might need a grade five. At another school, you might need a grade six. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to, that's part of the the process of recruitment is being really clear about what, what those cr- criteria are um, yeah. so that students are kind of applying with their eyes open, really. Okay, cool. So yeah, it sounds, it sounds like the same style as, as university, essentially, from A-level to, mm-hmm. from sixth form to university, same thing. So that's useful. I think, I feel like I did know that. I would have assumed it would be the case, but it's definitely useful for, for me and anyone, anyone who's like ahead of your 11, if you haven't had any kind of, if you don't have a sixth form in your school, because there are lots of schools that stop at year 11. And then you need to be, you need to be, you need to be having those conversations with your year 11s and your year 10s, to be fair, from the jump, talking, making them research the kind of entry requirements for different courses, because they need to start their GCSE journey, knowing what they need to get where they want to be. And I guess that's something where that's if you are listening back as a head of year 10 or head of year 11 and you don't have a sixth form, then looking and getting into touch with sixth form, looking at entry requirements, getting your kids to do the same is a very important piece of work because otherwise, well, you can use that as your driving force. That's the student's driving force. Um, you need to do this course. Cool. What do they need? Six, right. You need a grade six. What are you on at the moment? Four. Cool. You've got work to do, mate. That kind of conversation can therefore happen. Yeah, it's exactly that. And, and a lot of those conversations will happen within school. So for our year 11s, um all year 11s when they got their their mock their ppe results um following their mocks in january they all had a one-to-one conversation with a member of the senior leadership team and we talked about right given these results this is what you would have available to you if you did stay here and i think that that can be quite powerful as well um in terms of motivation for the sort of final push with year 11 um i can notice that people are saying in the chat that some courses vary yeah so for for sciences maths um, often the subject-specific criteria will be slightly higher. Um, so again, when if you are advising Year 11s, it's worth them looking at every single subject, you know, not just taking a glance at the first couple of subjects and assuming that applies to everything, um, mm. because it, it probably won't. Okay, great. No, great insight. And Sharon said, Sharon, I saw your comment about uh, the LGBTQA. That was more to do with the transgender thing in the news. So thank you for that. Sharon was saying that, in, in her sixth form college, the leader will support students who are struggling to discuss gender with their parents. And I agree, it's far better coming from a young person than, than an adult. So when the young person is ready to have that conversation, that's when it should happen. And then on the topic of kind of like grades and intake, Sharon said that they the sixth form college takes everyone who has five or more GCSEs at grade four or above. So again, so I'm, I'm, this is vindicating all the conversation I've been having with my year nines, when I've been telling them when their results are coming and they're currently on track to be getting only like two, three GCSEs. Um, this is vindicating that entire conversation because me and Myro, I've not dealt, like I said, this is selfish CPD for me. I've not dealt with sixth form for a while. Um, so it's good to know that you've got sixth forms that are saying, no, you need, you need five or more GCSEs. That, you need to get your five or more GCSEs at grade four or above. Otherwise, sixth form just not going to have you but you can do resets in your maths and your english and and so on and so forth and some and yeah their sixth form college offers every every available a level plus some b tech so we can admit most students excellent thank you for that sharon and of 
close. And of course, Claire, we've got a bit. I'm still doing okay. When I think we might actually we might actually do this perfectly on time. So number three on your kind of guidance or tips, advice, whatever you call it. And welcome to everyone that's just come into studio. We're talking about tips and advice for being a head of sixth form or a director of sixth form is about the curriculum. So this is a nice segue from what Sharon has said about A-levels and B-techs into what, Claire, you're talking about how to try to make sure you've got a balance. And the balance, I'm assuming, might not be 50-50, but you need to make sure it's appropriate for your desired intake or something along those lines, I imagine. Yeah, I think um, the curriculum is a really interesting one because obviously um, there's lots of things involved in that. So um, linking back to recruitment, if you are a school that wants wants to grow or a sixth form that wants to grow, then the advantage, one of the advantages of that is that you can then offer a broader curriculum because if you've got more students, it gives a bit more flexibility. You can then run courses uh, because you've got the numbers to make those courses viable. So uh, kind of one thing leads to another. Um, in terms of the balance of the curriculum, again, that's a, a kind of, in some ways, it's a bit of an ethos call. Like, are you a school that wants to be really academic and push students to um, definitely kind of the university route and and maybe even kind of Russell Group and Oxbridge, that kind of thing? Or are you a, um, a school or a sixth form that, that wants to have a much wider offer? We we want to offer young people in our sixth form as to keep as many doors open as possible, really, and, and make sure that whatever choice they want to make about post-18, we offer a curriculum that would support them to do that. So, um then you have to think about what courses are you offering and the combinations that might work in terms of your timetable option blocks and, and, and the kinds of programs of subjects that students might do together and how you can make that work on your timetable with the staffing that you've got. So there's a lot of work kind of with timetablers um, and with the senior leadership team, the deputy head or whoever it is who's in charge of curriculum and thinking about staffing and how you can make that work because in an 11 to 18 school obviously you probably a lot of your staff who are teaching courses in the sixth form also teach in the main school so it's a bit of a kind of uh, puzzle of trying to make timetables work so that we've got specialists in the right areas um, across the timetable um, and then there are some subjects as I said previously that are, are sixth form only and how they can slot in and often they're quite popular subjects so things like psychology they might run in in three different option blocks we have three different psychology groups in a year um so it's it's how you sort of balance all of those things and that's kind of only the taught curriculum um side of things because in addition on the um sixth form program they have to also have um pshe delivered and they also are expected to do what is called non-qualification activity. So some kind of enrichment stuff that demonstrates that they are doing um, more than just their studies um, for their A-level or BTEC subjects. Um, so it's actually the curriculum side of things is, is really quite broad. So this is when, you know, you were saying like it's a pastoral CPD, this aspect of it really isn't about pastoral. It's about <laughs> yeah. planning, you know, curriculum. So it's, um, it's quite different. No, no, definitely. Um, and I, I saw you mention, I, in my head, I was thinking about um, people who, I was going to say, so students who have low prioritarian, special educational needs, disabilities, mm -hmm. um, not, we're, we're talking about those who may not have been able to even access the GCSE maths and English curriculum to any, um, to any successful extent. So maybe got grades twos 
or threes at most in their GCs for maths and English. What happens in, of course, there's no one size fits all, but what happens in a situation where someone is coming to sixth form, clearly still lacking the the kind of core understanding of things as fundamental as maths and English? How does their, what happens for them in sixth form? What What is it their experience like? What happens so again, that that's going to vary depending on the school. So yeah. there'll be some sixth forms who have a general entry requirement that they have to get fours in English and maths, otherwise they can't join the sixth form. Um, at our school, if you don't have um, your, your four in English language and maths, um, you can still join pathway three, the BTEC only pathway, and you're expected to retake your English and maths. And we run English and maths GCSE retake lessons as part of their timetable. Um, but our admissions policy, um, the three pathways that I talked about previously are based on their best eight GCSE grades. So they calculate a best eight score and that determines which pathways are available to them. Um, so again, that will vary from sixth form to college. So if there's somebody who's got a profile of mainly twos and threes and a couple of fours, they may not have the best eight total to access our sixth form provision. Um, they might. Um, and then they would go on to the pathway three and and have the um, retake English and maths alongside the BTECs that they were doing. Um, but if they don't get um, a best date of our pathway three entry requirement is a best date of 30 points across eight subjects. Um, if they don't get that, then we wouldn't be able to offer them a place. Right, OK, so it, so it seems quite harsh sometimes, doesn't it? It's hope, you'd hope mm. that no one has to, no one falls foul of of the requirements, but it happens. It, is, it, is it does happen. And, and yeah. then it's about what, how well they're being supported in year 11, because those students where that might be a risk, that they may not get that 30 points. For us, we make sure, obviously, that they have applied to other places just in yeah. case they don't get the 30 um, and that they've got places secured at college or wherever else um, to make sure that they've definitely got a route in mind. And again, yeah. on GCSE results day, there are people there um, if people have done dramatically better or dramatically worse than they had anticipated, they might and, and able to offer advice at that point as well. So there's quite a lot of sort of guidance attached to that. Yeah. No, excellent. Excellent. And welcome. I see some more people join the studio. Welcome, Chris. We're still talking about um, sixth form leadership. We're not, it's not completely focused on the pastoral because sixth form leadership is not only about pastoral stuff. Um, but the next, we've got a couple more, we've got about 10 minutes to go. And there's a couple more things I wanted to speak about. So you mentioned around um, monitoring and quality assurance of different aspects of the provision because you're, you're as you're in your role. I think it was Genevieve on on social media who said it's like running a, a little school. So it's more than yeah. just. I was about to say just being ahead of year. Head of year is one big thing. Head of year often often has their time dedicated to a lot of more of the pastoral things. Doesn't really get involved in the curriculum aspect in most schools. But from what I'm gathering, um, the head of year role and obviously your role as director of sixth as well, you do play a bit of a, not in bit, you have much more of a input into things like curriculum, teaching and learning outcomes, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. what were you speaking about? The monitoring of that is is paramount, I imagine, as well. Yeah. So um, at my school, we are sort of monitoring um, calendar. Um, the sixth form follows that as it runs across the main school. So every time there's kind of whole school learning walks, we will do some in the sixth form, student voice, etc. all the different ways that you might monitor. But it, it would be me who kind of oversees that um, and then pulls together anything that might lead to us taking action um, in light of whatever we find. So um, the heads of year 
I'm glad you said about the, the kind of not only pastoral and the sick form. Again, they're very involved in every time, you know, there's um, a data drop. And we analyse that data if we've got students who across subjects are underperforming. The head of year has an important role in terms of intervention with those students, um, finding out why things maybe didn't go as well, as does the tutor. So in our tutor times, um, I said we deliver PSHE in the morning after an assessment so when the data comes out the tutors within that calendar will do some reflection with the students um, on how they've done in those assessments why did they do well what went wrong if they didn't um, and then that can help inform if the head of year does get involved because they are um, kind of losing value if you like across multiple subjects that's when the head of year might get involved um, then some of that sort of self-reflection has already been done by the student and the, the head of year can then have a conversation and set targets with that student to move them forward. Um, so it's kind of done in multiple ways because obviously the, the subject leader in that subject will be looking at um, who's not done so well in an assessment and, and why that is the case and doing some work with them. But also we will be looking at that if it's a sort of more global issue as well. Um, and what I tend to do after we get a data drop is I send out a Google form to all of the post-16 heads of subject and I ask them to fill in certain information um, about who's done particularly well, where have students lost, you know, where are the progress figures looking, kind of not in line with where we would want them to be and why is, is there a backstory to that? Was there something going on with that student that we need to know about? Um, or is there something that we need to do? And we always ask, is there, is there something you know, that the sick form team can do to support with this? Do you, you know, do you want us to follow anything up or are you happy that this is just a subject only issue? Um, and that's a, a really easy way of ga gathering quite a lot of information. You know, if you use something like Google Form, Microsoft Forms, you can gather all of that information quite quickly and then just filter for the bits that need action taking. So it, it hopefully makes it a more efficient process. And then we can Excellent. get to the students who need the help the most. Excellent. No, that's a great piece of advice. I don't really use, I don't use Google Forms. I've not used any Google. I use them so much. Yeah. <laughs> sponsored, sponsored by Google. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my old school, wasn't it? It was Microsoft and um, it, it just wasn't a thing. And when I moved to my current school, everything was Google. And I, I was kind of like, oh, I need to really get used to using it. But now that is the, the one aspect of Google that I really, really like is that you can gather quite a lot of information and then filter it really efficiently um you know our, our curriculum's really big we've got over 25 subjects so it's it's trying to make sure rather than me having to sit down and have a meeting with every head of subject for every course that obviously is going to take up time to get the same information so it just it just speeds things up okay thank you for that and then with a few minutes ago we might as well round it off speaking about pastoral stuff because this is a it, even though the actual and it was never going to be a show that was going to have a pastoral focus alone because i wanted to just make it more about the actual leadership role pastoral obviously being one important part of it um the question i want to ask is pastorally speaking what would you say are the are the biggest challenges to sixth form leadership um i know i've kind of thrown that out there but what pastorally mm. speaking is there anything that's like you think you, as like a unique challenge pastorally to sixth form leadership or maybe I would say just... currently mental health is is just huge um yeah. off the back of covid even more so um in my previous role like I say I was on a sixth form leadership team at another big sixth form um and over the time the three or four years that I was doing that role you could see mental health growing as an issue now it's 
there's just not the support that there needs to be. The biggest barrier and, and frustration really that we find in trying to support students who are really struggling in the form of their mental health is at that age, particularly once they're 17, services just don't want to know about them because they're, mm. they're waiting to transfer them to adult services. You know, CAMs are waiting to transfer them to adult services. Um, the, the support just seems to like the, the rug is pulled from them. Um, and it becomes then really difficult for us to try and get, we can signpost to counselling or to, um, you know, serve local charities and things like that. But there isn't the same layers of support that there are at 11 to 16. Um, and that's quite difficult because they're, you know, they're going through the biggest series of transitions in their life in the sixth form. They're transitioning from 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 GCSE to A level study, they might be moving school at that point. That's a huge transition. They're getting used to key stage five study. It can be completely different. They've got to manage their own time and all those kinds of things. All the social pressures that come with being that age, which are huge. Um, mm. And then thinking about what they're going to do at post eighteen. There's so much kind of potential stress um, that you're bound to get those issues but I think off the back of COVID that's been heightened even further and mm -hmm. then for that to be the time where there's the least support um, in terms of services is incredibly frustrating so I think that's the biggest um, difficulty so it's about yeah. trying to put things in place to to mitigate that all the while and try and provide as much support as possible so we run things like well-being workshops we have well-being wednesday every week our um head of psychology who's fantastic she's a senior tutor in the sixth form in charge of well-being so she um throughout covid ran a, a google classroom that's specifically on um well-being and mental health support so it's got just reams of resources on there and every wednesday she shares something for well-being wednesday a different tip a different strategy um, and then she runs these really small group workshops as well, about once every half term that students can know if they sign up, it's a safe space for them to talk. She pre prepares a little booklet. So she's done anxiety, worry, motivation, um, exam stress. There's all, all sorts of different workshops that she puts on. Um, so it's, it's trying to provide support within the sixth form as best we can, knowing that there's, there's not much beyond that for students uh, at this age. That's the um, thing. I didn't even, I didn't even come to... The age, because mental health, in all my, I've done numerous shows on, on mental health and the lack and, well, the mismatch of or the imbalance of demand. The demand supply is just completely um, offset at the moment from all, because mental health is, is in a crisis at the moment across all ages of young people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think that, or didn't appreciate is a better word, I didn't even appreciate that as they get older, the, like you said, the services will, will step away. Because if you've if you're got an 18 year old, an 18 year old that's struggling, soon to be leaving school and going to the adult world, they're not gonna put they're not gonna put the time into them because they're gonna be they even though you've got the you've got the you've got cams have got months waiting this anyway. And that's yeah. for people that's for people who are in primary school and and secondary school, let alone people who are gonna turn into adults within within a year or two. So that alone exactly. I didn't I didn't even think that's crazy. And Sharon said in the chat around mental health that her again this is her sixth form college has got counsellors and a social worker on a placement. Miss Cato Stem was talking about how they've got a, a school counsellor that's oversubscribing. That's the case in most schools, a queue just going yeah. around the corner, like it's those supermarket queues from COVID days outside the kind of the counsellors' offices. Sharon's college has got six offices used for counselling full time. And and then we've got one person in the chat. Don't know your name, but you're a random assortment of letters. But thank you for commenting, <laughs> um, saying that teachers 
um, are committed to supporting Key Stage 5 students, but it simply does not make up for the level of expertise that is needed. Agreed, that's across the board, but I think the pressure, there is a different type of pressure at the age of 17, 18, when you're about, when you're about to know that all that support network that you've been used to for the last, well, not 18 years, I think it's primary school, it's talking about 13 years, is about to, is about to go. Like, as soon as you go into university, we say, I imagine you say to your, your sixth form is quite a lot, that there, there was a lot more independence. There's a lot more, you're, you're not on your own completely, but it's a new, it's a new platform. It's a new kind of step in your, in your life where you're not going to have tutors to that extent where they they know you, like you've got university tutors, but they, they have, they're a tutor to, to tens upon tens, maybe hundreds of different kids. So it's, it, that, that's a different pressure. And if you're already mm. struggling with your mental health in tandem with the additional pressure of, oh my word, these are my last two years, that to some kids feel like they're gonna set themselves up for their for the for their career or or whatever path they choose. That's crazy. And it's such a shame to end it's a shame to end on a bit of a down note. But it's a message to anyone that's listening who's involved, any CAMS practitioners, any government officials that are listening, <laughs> fund <laughs> fund CAMS, fund mental health services. Let's get counselors in every school. I miss I worked in a school where we had or we used to have a social worker placed in school there's no money for that anymore there's not enough funding for it i hope soon they'll make this more of a priority because there's not only secondary schools that are struggling sixth formers are struggling everyone the world is struggling there needs to be more money um put into mental health support in schools and colleges and sixth forms and also into let me end on teachers pay packets in the public sector as well put some more money in the teachers <laughs> keep we need Absolutely. to keep we need, we need to keep, we need to retain, we need to retain our sixth forms, we need to retain our staff. We've got, ended on a bit of a, on a negative note, or not a negative, but a, a more despondent note. But all that's left to say, Claire, is at, like, thank you. Um, thank you so much for, come, first of all, agreeing to come on the show and also sharing all this insight into quite a, well, as you said, a role that isn't spoken about much on the, on Twitter or social media or in the news or whatever else or in these articles. Mm. So it's been, hopefully, it's been very, very useful for me and hopefully it's been very, very useful for anyone that listens back or was listening live. So thank you very much for coming on. No, thank you. I, I will end on a positive and say that all of the different <laughs> aspects of it mean that it's a, just a fantastic role. It's certainly never boring. Um, and it's a job that is really, really rewarding um because where there aren't those services we are still there in school every day and students respond to that and they really appreciate it so it really is a privilege to to kind of be in that position for them um i would just say i'll just plug as well i write a blog um on sick form leadership so um i'll share that in the chat in a minute um where there's loads of other articles that i've written about various different aspects like student leadership um all sorts of different things, um, supporting students with medicine applications, various different aspects of sick form leadership. So if anybody wants to read them, please oh, nice. do. Yeah, best best thing to do. I wouldn't even put it in this chat because this chat will uh, kind of dissolve when the show ends. But when I tweet okay. out when I tweet out the link that will take you to the pod the podcast episode of this show, then feel free to kind of add um, anything underneath that in terms of links to any other more useful information for, for sixth form or for post-16 leadership. I'll send the tweet and I'll, I'll mention you in that. Um, so thank, thank you. you very much. I'm going to disconnect you now, Claire, but thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks. Cool. What a wonderful, wonderful show. A different show. 
I like mixing it up a little bit, mix it up a little bit, talk about the 17, 18 year olds. Um, hopefully, thank you for everyone that took part in the show today. If you joined in a little bit late, um, feel free to listen back you, as you can with this show and all other Teachers Talk Radio shows. There's another show coming up after me at three o'clock and another one in the evening as well. So please, please stay tuned to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, follow us on Twitter at TT Radio 2022. Uh, you can also follow me specifically on Twitter at Khalil underscore R91. And then you can interact with me. This has been the Pastoral CPD Clinic. And you can follow hashtag Pastoral CPD on Twitter as well for updates about all things pastoral. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. I didn't even know what to say at the end of this. I was going to say something funny, but I couldn't even think of anything to say. Bye-bye.